Let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. We started a new series last week called Something is About to Happen, and I think it did last week. I think it already has this morning, so if you guys just achieve at the first service level, then we'll all be good, okay? It's going to be a great day, and I know that it's cold outside, but it is on fire in here, and I hope that you came to hear a message um, that would encourage your soul, and I think as we go through this whole series, it's really about overcoming um, giant obstacles, and today uh, will be no different. Um, before I get started, though, um, I just want to say thank you for coming out on the coldest day of the year thus far. So good job, good job, well done, well done. Um, uh, your reward will be a very passionate sermon. Um, whenever we're thinking about today's story, it's going to be a, a man who was asking God for something uh, really big, and there was some waiting that had to occur, and I wanted us to think for a minute before we get into the message about um, how good are you at waiting, because um, there's no one that has the gift of waiting. No one, no one like is like, I want, I'd like to wait a little longer. No, in our society, right, we're all driven toward wanting something, and, and in this uh, kind of culture of uh, fast food mindset, like I want it, I want it now. I mean, now you can buy something on Amazon Prime, you know, and you expect it to show up, right? And whenever the COVID crisis happened, I mean, it's like the society broke down, right? It's like, I have to wait three days. What is this? Are we a third world country? Um, and so some people are naturally better at waiting. And I found that people move at two different paces. So if you're in a relationship, um, one of you will be faster paced than the other. Is that true? Is that true? Does everybody know who it is in y'all's relationship? Okay. My wife moves at supersonic speed all the time. And I don't feel like I'm a turtle, but I definitely move slower than her. And this causes conflict in our household. I don't know if you've ever tried to be in the kitchen when someone is doing stuff in there, you know, and I get told on a regular basis because I go hang out in the pantry and I'm looking for a snack. She's like, get out of my way. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I just go over here now. Let me know when I can enter the kitchen. But um, she just moves at a different pace, right? And some of you are what I call creepers, um, not in the dating sense, but in the driving sense. Um, you are the person that when the light is red, you, you keep creeping like six inches at a time. You hit your brake, six inches brake. Does anybody know who these people are, right? I'm always like, you're not, you're, not, you're not doing anything. That's not doing anything. It's not helping you at all. But my wife likes to do that as well. Um, and so she's in a hurry. She's always in a hurry uh, to get there. And so anyway, I just thought that I would say that, you know, none of us are good at waiting. We all move at different paces. And today we're going to see um, sometimes there's a, there's a space between when we ask and God answers and uh, sometimes it's going to get worse uh, before it gets better. And, and how do we handle that? Because sometimes I think we believe that because we've put in the request um, that God is obligated to answer when we feel like he should answer. And I hope you'll see today that um, you need to be satisfied and content that God is going to answer when God wants to answer. And that when he answers, it will be the right time 
when he answers. And so I hope that I can get into that today. And I, I promise you, um, whatever you brought in here today, if there's any struggle, if there's anything that feels like it's suffering, maybe even dying, then I have a word for you. So let's get into it. It's Mark chapter 5. It says, When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was uh, still by the lake. And it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came out uh, when he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. Now, a quick aside, um, when it says he was one of the synagogue leaders, we know that he was, if you will, in our culture today, a religious leader, you know, we could call him even maybe a pastor, but obviously he was Jewish, so he wasn't a pastor, but in our contemporary um, way of thinking about it. And so just because you are a religious person, just because you're connected to God even, doesn't mean that you're going to be free from struggles. And sometimes I think there's a misconception that if we are believers, that nothing bad happens to us. But the Bible says that God sends rain on the just and the unjust, that time and chance happen to all men. And so good things and bad things still happen to God's people. So God never promised in this world that we would not have struggles, that we would not have difficulties, that we would not have things that even test us as to where, what we believe and what level we're on in our belief. And so here it says that this man was obviously um, in a crisis, um, even though he knew God, uh, knew of God, that he still was perplexed at something. And so just because you're a believer doesn't mean that life isn't going to hand you situations that are overwhelming and maybe even lead to desperation. So it says that he came and he fell at Jesus' feet. In verse 23, it says he pleaded earnestly with him. He says, my little daughter is dying. We're going to find out later she's 12 years old. He said, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. I thought we would ask a question to start with. Of what does desperation make us do? What does desperation make us do? Have you ever, have you ever been in a desperate situation? Just by show of hands. Um, this is the way that I get you guys to participate. You know, I make you move because like sometimes, you know, it's cold out there and then it's warm in here and then y'all start like going like this, you know, and so I have to, you know, do some jumping jacks every now and then. Anyway, um, so everybody has been in a desperate situation before and um, the levels of desperate, you know, increase your willingness to compromise on various things. For instance, it says that that desperation made him bow, right? He came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Now, I think that most of us, that's not a position that we would be comfortable in. We wouldn't fall at someone's feet and ask them anything because our pride prevents us from bending the knee. Interestingly, if you were here last week, Jehoshaphat, the king that led his people into an incredible victory, he found himself in the same position. It's almost as if there's a linear theme throughout the scriptures that if we want to seek the face of God, that we have to position ourselves in humility as we approach. And so whenever you're approaching God at your house, in your closet, in your prayer time, in your worship, however it is, we can be bowed literally on our face, but we can also bow in humility in our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you as you approach God to be in the right posture. And then not only will desperation make us bow, I think if you get desperate enough, 
it'll make you beg. Um, and it says that he pleaded with him. He said, please, Jesus, will you come to my house? And no one really likes to beg, um, but if, if something is bad enough, right? If one of your children was on the verge of dying, wouldn't you do anything? Wouldn't you do anything? Wouldn't you beg any person? Wouldn't you go to any doctor? You would be willing to, to humble yourself completely and you'd be saying, God, please, God, please. You're not afraid to beg when you get desperate enough. But on the converse of that, perhaps if you're not in a position to bow or beg, you're not desperate enough yet. Maybe it hasn't gotten bad enough yet. Maybe you're wanting it to go even further. And sometimes we say in order for a per person to completely turn around, they have to hit what? Rock bottom, right? Has, have you guys found that to be true? All right. Some of you are sitting in here today. Guess what? It's because you hit rock bottom. You found yourself in some situation that was beyond you, and you're like, we need to get into church. You know, We need to get back into church. And I want you to know that it's a weird thing whenever people return to church after they've been gone. They feel like people are going to judge them. They feel like, you know, people are like, oh, well, where have you been? You know, or something like that. That is never true. Like, I would literally go up and slap somebody if they said that to someone in our church. Like, no, like, we want you here. It's like, you know, it's like a homecoming whenever I see someone that hasn't been at our church in a while. And so I just want you to know that that's, a, that's, a, that's something the devil does inside of our minds to try to keep us in, like, this position of shame. Like, you're going to be a second-class citizen when you show back up. That's not true. And so um, whenever we get desperate enough, right, we'll return to God, just like the prodigal son did. And so desperation also led him to what? It said that he invited God's presence, right, into his problem. He said, it says that he said, would you please come to my house? And where was the problem? The problem was at his house. And I can't tell you how important God's presence is. I want you to begin thinking about that. Like, how do you develop God's presence in your life? It's like, if, if it's your house, if you never talk about God, if you never read the Bible, if you never pray, if when difficulties come up as you're leading your household, as you're leading your children, you don't discuss what would God have us to do, and if you're not involved in community and you don't have a local church that you're a part of, then how are you exactly feeding the presence of God in your life? And wouldn't it be terrible if someone got to a crisis like this and didn't have the presence of God in their lives? Now you say, if I'm a believer, do I have the presence of God in my life? I would say no. I don't think that those, those things are, are tied together. I think that they can be uh, mutually exclusive in the sense of when you're saved, the Bible says that His Spirit is sown into our spirit, that we are covered, that we have a guarantee of salvation. That's in Ephesians 1, verse 13. However, it says that Samson, whenever that woman, who was she? Does anybody remember her name? Delilah. Do we have any Delilahs in the room? Okay, before I say anything about that name, because one time I did that and the person was like, I'm Delilah. Anyway, so we, we generally don't name our kids Delilah or Jezebel, right? Um, and so there's a reason. Anyway, wrong woman, all the men in the house, the single men, listen, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And all the men in the house said, 
That's right. You ever had the wrong woman? Woo! Mess you up. It says that he woke up and she had cut his hair and he went to do what he had always done. And it says that he did not know that the presence of God had left him. And so when he rose up to do what he had always done, he felt the same. You see, he had lived without the presence of God so long that he didn't know the difference between the two. And whenever you are going through the motions of life and you're not intentional about developing the presence of God in your life, you'll not know the difference. It'll all feel the same. There's people that will come to church and the presence of God is in them, it's with them, it's all around them. There's other people that will come and because their heart is not in the position to seek the Lord, they'll sit to the same service unmoved, unfazed. They'll be bored. They'll be scrolling on their phone. That's the student section over there. I have to get them. Of course, there's some people that are following sports updates right now. Anyway, um, so, so whenever it comes to developing the presence of God, if you don't have his presence with you, and you're in a, one of these types of situations that Jairus is in, then you don't have a prayer. And I would hate for you to be in a position that you needed God, but because you didn't have his presence, you didn't have a prayer. One time Moses was actually leading his people in the Old Testament, and it says that um, in the Old Testament it was different than the New Testament, because in the Old Testament they were really stubborn, and he would lead, he would try to lead the people, and they wouldn't do what he was saying that God was telling them to do. Now, in the New Testament, I don't have that problem, right? Because everything that I preach, y'all just do it, right? And, and, like, I don't have to worry about it. Or maybe I got some Old Testament people in here. And so he, he said when God was leading him through the wilderness, God was wanting to move him from one place to the other. He said, God, if your presence, look at this verse, if your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want to go, right? That's how important it is. You think back in your life. Have you made really big decisions without consulting whether or not the presence of God was with you? Man, if you dated without the presence of God, I guarantee you, you paid the price. If you're trying to raise children in today's culture and trying to have any arrow that's aiming at truth without the presence of God, I'd say near impossible. And so today I want you to know you need to cultivate the presence of God and we need to invite the presence of God into our problems which we have to humble ourselves in order to invite in order to invite him in. Not only does he invite God's presence into his problem, it says that he says he invited him to put his hands, right? He said, "Will you put your hands on my hopeless?" Right? Think about that for a moment. Do you think there's anyone that walked in here today that is in the middle of some hopeless situations? Do you think there's anyone that walked in here today that has something that is dying in their lives? I guarantee you. And sometimes we become even jaded as a result of the things that we have suffered. And if we're not careful, we lay down in those places without seeking Jesus and I'm telling you right now that if you were to invite Jesus to put his hands on your hopeless, what change 
could occur as a result of Jesus being invited into the equation. And so today, maybe there's someone that walked in here, and maybe the marriage is on the verge of breaking apart. Maybe you have a prodigal that you would love to see come home. Maybe you are uh, incredibly jaded as a result of a betrayal in a past relationship, and now you don't let anyone in. Wouldn't that be sad if you punished people in your present and in the future as a result of the past pain that you have suffered. Man, if you would invite Jesus into that situation and ask him to put his hands on your hopeless, we could turn that whole thing around in a matter of moments because his desperation believed that something amazing could happen if he invited Jesus into the equation. So I'm asking you to level up this morning and believe that if Jesus entered your household, if Jesus entered your marriage, if Jesus entered your parenting, if Jesus entered your purpose, that all of these things would improve as a result of having God's presence in your life. And so that was the request that was made. Um, it says that something interesting happened. I have to summarize this because it's a whole different story. So Jesus left to go with them, and there's this crowd. Just imagine crowd, hundreds, maybe thousands. And they're like moving through the streets. And there's a secondary miracle that happens on the way toward Jesus helping Jerus. It says that there was this woman who had an issue that was uh, incurable disease. It says that she had went to every doctor. She had spent all that she had, and yet it had grown worse instead of improving. And... It's a great picture how we can go to man for some things and we can spend all that we have and the dollar can't deliver us. Sometimes the doctor can't deliver us. But after she had gone through all those people, it says that she said to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be made well. And it says she pushed through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment and Jesus was like, hey, everybody stop. Like power, he said, has gone out of me. Now, this is a crazy theological conundrum because in every other miracle, there's a person who's doing something and then Jesus is responding to what they're doing, but there's like a request. But here we see like this almost inverted order that grace that was inside of him was appropriated by the right reach. That whenever you have a desperation that says, I just got to get to Jesus, that if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Now, societally, this was completely inappropriate. I mean, a woman that was unclean could never touch a man that was a priest, a teacher, any, any person. And in fact, you were a pariah, you were a second-class citizen, and yet she said, I am willing to break all the rules to get to Jesus. How bad do you want it this morning? How bad are you willing to push? Are you willing to break some rules? Are you willing to humble yourself to get to Jesus? And so Jesus says, power has gone out for me. Someone touched me. And his disciples, like they always, you know, kind of were, it's like, ah, what are you talking about, Jesus? You know, there's a big crowd here. Like, like, you know, we don't get it. Like, there are a whole bunch of people touching you. There's a different touch, right? There's the reach of faith. And then there's someone who's just bumping into Jesus. Like, bumping into Jesus is different than reaching out by faith. Some of you are trying to be in the crowd today. 
But I want you to reach by faith. I want you to receive something. So in the midst of this miracle that happens, on one level you could say Jairus would have been encouraged because he just watched somebody who had an incurable disease be healed on the way to his house. But then bad news showed up. You ever found that there's some seasons that you go through? Bob your head, feedback, if this is true. Where just when you feel like you're on the edge of it getting better, someone comes to you with bad news about it getting worse. Has anybody ever felt like that? You ever had a season like that? That is brutal. It's brutal. It's like one step forward, right? It's two steps back. These guys show up. Look at the text. It says, while they were yet speaking, some people showed up from Jairus' house, and they said, don't bother him. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher. She's dead. Man, there's nothing worse than losing a child. Look at Jesus' response. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. You know how hard it would be to say that to a man who just lost his daughter? Now, why did they tell him not to bother? They said, don't bother him because they thought the issue was now beyond him, right? Jairus believed that he could heal someone that was sick, but he did not believe he could raise someone that was dead. And so herein we see that there are levels. We all have some faith fables that we have to contend with. Things that we don't believe because we're not at that level yet. And imagine if your belief wasn't big enough that there was a miracle that was possible. But because your belief wasn't big enough, your ask wasn't big enough. And because your ask wasn't big enough, you had some things that died along the way that could have been raised if you just had enough faith. Wouldn't that be worth knowing that there's a faith that you can have in Jesus that can call things back even from the grave? Man, I hope someone needs to learn this lesson in here today. Because here he was saying, just believe. Just believe. I don't care if it's starting to go from bad to worse. As a matter of fact, even more when it goes from bad to worse, we need to just believe. We need to hang on between the asking and God's answering. We need to just believe. Even when it doesn't have a pulse, even when it's starting to look impossible, it says that she was dead. It has the appearance of being over. And so this morning I'm trying to get to you to say just believe. Just believe. I don't know what it is this morning that you're wrestling with, but you have to believe. The reason why you have to have belief is because you need God in order to accomplish this thing. In order for our souls to be saved, we must believe. In order to maintain our faith, we must believe. In order for there to be belief, there has to be an obstacle that is greater than myself. That requires me to believe. In order for me to have bravery, I have to be able to face fear. These things are needed in order for us to face resistance, and then we have belief that is able to overcome, not in and of ourselves, but inside of God. And so here, this person says, she's dead. Jesus says, take me to the house. 
says in verse 38, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in with the child. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At that they were completely astonished. Think about this for a moment. Uh, as a pastor, I, ha- I hate, to, hate to say this, but I've been in more of these situations than I would ever want to. There's a certain grief whenever there's unexpected tragedy where people, it is a commotion. And I, I, I'm not even going to get into all of it, but as a pastor, you often have to deliver some of the worst news. You know, on TV shows, they always show up and they say, we regret to inform you, right? You guys ever watch, like, it's always, we regret to inform you, but so-and-so. And man, as a pastor, you're in those shoes so often. Sometimes it's that somebody has died. Sometimes it's that someone is getting divorced. Sometimes it is a kid that has gone astray and has left and has gone off to live the prodigal lifestyle. And you're there with someone who is weeping. You are there with someone who is inconsolable, and at that moment there are no words that you possess that can solve this problem. You only have the ministry of presence. You just have to be there. You have to be there and be with someone and tell them, you know, I can, I'm going to walk with you through this. I don't have all of the answers because there are no answers. We can pray together. But most of all, it's just being there for someone as they're going through that tragedy. Here is Jesus walking into a situation, and he says, she's not, she's not dead yet. <laughs> she's, she's just taking a nap, right? And they're all like, no, she's dead, right? And, and, and they laughed at him, right? They laughed at Jesus. And so in their mind, this was absurd. This is absurd that he's even saying these things. What if I told you, though, dead is not done when Jesus steps into the house? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great that not even death is something that is an obstacle that he can't overcome? Think about that for a moment. He can raise it. He can speak life into it. Their attitude shifted from this is absurd to astonished real quick. And so sometimes there's going to be stuff in your life and it's going to have the appearance, right? It's going to have the appearance of being dead. It's going to have the appearance of being over. It's going to be appearance of not able to be healed, not able to be helped, that the Humpty Dumpty can never be put back together again. You don't understand, Tim, what happened to me. You don't understand what I've gone through. And what if I told you that not even death can separate you from the promise that God has for you. Dead is not done when Jesus is in the house. When Jesus speaks into any dead situation, even death must obey him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though someone dies, 
If they believe, they will live again. So this morning, I don't care what is on life support. I don't care if it has the appearance of dead. We're going to invite Jesus to speak truth, to speak life, to speak healing into your situation. And I hope that you would receive that today. When God speaks, I think we can all agree something is about to happen. He said to this dead thing, get up, get up. And then it says that she started walking around. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was at like a funeral home and someone walked in and they were like, get up. And they're like, okay. You know, and they started like walking around. I'd be, I'd be freaking out, right? I'd be the guy in the corner like, oh, I'd be running out of the room. And man, this little girl got up and started walking around and, and now they're astonished, right? Their attitude shifted so quickly. Man, you are you are a prayer away from your attitude shifting from God could never accomplish that. That's too big for God to accomplish to being astonished at how easily God can do the impossible. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? What if I told you today he's not done? He's not done with you. I don't care what it is you've done in your past. He's not done with If you're breathing in here, he is not done with you. He can bring these situations back to life and he still has a purpose for you. The last thing I'll share with you is kind of an interesting verse. It says in verse 43, this is how the story ends. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Like this keep this on the down low. And then he said, he told them to give her something to eat. Like, isn't that wild? Like, I don't know if you've ever been on this diet that you die, and then <laughs> Jesus shows up, and he's like, first thing he's like, you know, eh, give her something to eat, you know? Like, that's just wild to me. And I thought on a metaphorical level, we could really lean into this. He's saying, feed what I brought back to life. Feed what I brought back to life. If he saved you, if you've accepted Christ as your personal savior, feed what I saved. If he forgave you when you sinned, and then you sinned again, and then you said you wouldn't, and then you sinned again, and yet every time he gave grace, feed the life that he has forgiven. Do you remember when you thought, I will never find love? Some of you, still there. Anyway, but, and then God gave it to you. God gave you the person of your dreams. God united you. Feed the person. Feed the relationship that God blessed you with. When it comes to your parenting, feed what he has given you, what he has blessed you with in your house. Man, if he has done anything in your life, He's saying to you, if I've brought it up, there's a reason for it. And then if I've raised it, you got to feed it because I want it to grow. I want it to mature. I want it to realize the purpose that I created it for. And now I've even brought it back from the dead. Some of you, oh, now see, now see, just calm down. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen cancer healed. I've held blood in my hands right before it went into the person where this platelet, they literally, they didn't prepare me for that. By the way, they didn't tell me. Like, literally, I'm getting ready to do it, and they're like, Pastor, you want to pray over this? And they handed me, they handed it to me. 
Imagine you just walk in to just, you know, pray for someone before they go in for surgery and like they hand you like the blood that's either going to heal them or kill them. You know what I'm saying? You're hearing what I'm saying. Everybody hearing me? I felt a lot of pressure that day. A lot of pressure. They didn't teach us this in seminary. So I prayed over it. And this person had, I think, relapsed three, four times. And this was it. Completely healed. Completely healed. Glory to God. Then after a couple of months, that person walked out of church, went back to a partying lifestyle, didn't honor him at all. Man, you got your miracle. And now you're going to waste it? If he saved you, if he forgave you, if he gave you eternity and loved you when you were unlovable, come on, you're going to waste that? You're not going to honor him with your life, honor him with your lips, honor him with a song, honor him with sharing that faith with people that are lost and dying out there in the world? I'm here to tell you, don't, don't consume it. It was not meant for you to be consumed. It was meant for it to pass through you. That life that he gave you, it passes through you to others. That love that he gave you, it passes through you to others. So that you can share with them how one beggar found the bread. And then you can lead them to the guy that gave it to you. I hope today someone in here brought something in that you said is terminal. That you would try Jesus today. That you would reach by faith. That you would be willing to bow beg, invite his presence into it, ask him to put his hands on the hopeless. And when he speaks, I believe something is getting ready to happen. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, that you might challenge us all this morning. All of us have received more than we have ever given. All of us in here, God, have experienced grace that is so disproportionate to anything that we ever deserved. Therefore, God, you are worthy of our worship. God, our hearts, let them not get hard. Let us not give in. Even when it's going from bad to worse, that's the time. That's the time you lean in. That's the time when Jesus says, just believe. I know you remember the story he told the blind man. He said, do you think I can do this? Do you believe I can do this? He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I feel like I got someone in the room today. That's where you're at. Like, I believe, help my unbelief. I can tell you where we are. Where we are at as a church body, if you watch the video this week, your pastor is right there. I believe. Just help my unbelief. And I believe that God can do it for you. We're going to worship him in just a moment. And as we get to that chorus and we talk about how God is bringing things back to life, I want you to just worship him for everything that he has set you free from.
And if you're in a prison today, maybe this song will be the song that sets you free. Are you ready, church? Let's stand up. Let's put our hands together and let's worship the king. I said let's put our hands together. What are we doing?